Uh, hi, and welcome uh, to another episode of Talking Trade. I'm Ian Coxhead at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I'm Sandy Siegel, president of MEJ. And today we're uh, very pleased to welcome uh, a colleague of mine, Paul Castaneda-Dower. Uh, Paul is an assistant professor, soon to be associate professor, of Ag and Applied Economics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a member of the Wisconsin-Russia Project. Paul is a specialist on the economy and the economic history of Russia and Eurasia, and he has lived and worked in Moscow for seven years, from 2008 to 2015. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Now, Paul, uh, here's a puzzle. It used to be a trope that countries that do trade with each other don't go to war. And here at the moment, with Russia uh, invading Ukraine, we have two countries that are very closely linked in trade and in investment and in labor markets and more, and yet uh, one has invaded the other. So how might we account for Russia's actions? Yeah, so, I mean, first, to be clear, I, I think this is, you know, Putin's actions, not, not Russian's actions. So we should, right away, we should distinguish that. But uh, yeah, many people were in complete shock uh, in Russia. Uh, right along with the rest of the world, uh, that this would happen. Uh, it's very perplexing and, and it's really, uh, I think some people I know uh, are refusing to entertain any kind of logic to this type of action. Uh, and, and so, uh, but if we were to entertain <laughs> some kind of logic, uh, we kind of have to start with Putin's worldview. Uh, and that's that, you know, he's an essential uh, you know, historical figure uh, that is, you know, at a critical moment, providing uh, protection and preserving uh, Russian culture. Uh, and this is Putin's interpretation of his own role, right? Yes, his, yeah. his interpretation of his own role. Mm -hmm. Now, that worldview, uh, that particular aspect of the worldview is probably, you know, might be shared by some people in Russia, uh, but certainly not all. Uh, but there is some aspects of his worldview that are shared within Russia, and, and that's important to keep uh, keep a, an account of. That you know, Russians have withstood um, you know many attacks throughout their history, uh, uh, survived many attacks. Uh, they have um, contributed a lot to the world, you know, in this worldview, and and they also have sacrificed a lot for the world. And so, and they, and they feel slighted in, in some sense on the world stage and, and Putin definitely has expressed that. Um, so that's part of it. But, uh, you know, so why, uh, you know, the other kind of aspect of, of, of uh, Putin's worldview is tied into this, his essential character is the fact that, you know, he, uh, if he loses power, <laughs> then he can't be the savior, of course. Uh, but he also, you know, might uh, with the loss of power, you know, he might his life might be short on this earth because of his, all the <laughs> crimes and corruption that he's engaged in. Right. Uh, so you know, this is strong motivation for him. Uh, but why invade Ukraine? Uh, I think there are kind of two reasons. One is the security reason, uh, which has been given a lot of attention in the media, and, and you may disagree about you know whether that's real or not. But he's certainly using it as a reason. Uh, and the second. Uh, is probably less well understood. And that's if basically because, precisely because Ukraine is so close to Russia, and this comes back to your, or, or your question, you know, economically, culturally, historically, politically, all these things, because they're so close that if Ukraine is able to successfully integrate with the West uh, and democratize 
in mm -hmm. a successful way. This means that, you know, it can be done in Russia too. And that's very yeah. problematic for, for Putin's worldview that, you know, Russia needs a strong leader, autocratic regime, and needs to distance itself from the West in order to survive. Fascinating. So I, I can switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the impact on trade. Um, we've already recognized, you know, the increase in fuel costs, and that's going to affect all of trade and transportation and so forth. In, in regards to commodities and some of um, the other key trading partners for Russia, how do how do you see that playing out? Yeah, so if you take Russia and Ukraine together, uh, you know, they produce a, a, a fourth of the world's uh, wheat, a fifth of the world's corn. Um, Ukraine itself is the largest exporter in um, sunflower seed oil. And, and so obviously this is going to have uh, huge effects across the, the globe. And we're already in a situation where there's, you know, we already have food prices are, are high. And so, and, you know, with the pandemic's disruption of the global supply chains, this is, uh, you know, going to be an additional kind of perfect storm, if you will, uh, uh, to impact uh, global prices. But in terms of specific trading partners, you know, China is an important uh, trading partner. Uh, uh, Egypt is an important trading partner. Turkey um, is an important one. Uh, if we look, if we uh, think about just Russia, you know, Russia exports a lot of wheat to Nigeria. Uh, so, you know, everywhere is going to be affected, um, uh, I think. Uh, but, yeah. And, and then if we think about kind of, you know, Russia or Ukraine exports a lot of agricultural goods. Uh, and uh, if we think about the growing season and the disruption that this conflict might, if it, you know, continues, you know, winter wheat is, of course, the main um, main exporter. So this has already been sown in September, but it's going to be harvested in early summer. This could be completely disrupted. Uh, the first sunflower seed oil. This is going to be you know harvested in in the spring. I mean, sorry, sown in the spring. And this is exactly in the Kharkiv and Luhansk region. And then you know that'll be harvested in September. And then it, usually it's transported since most of it is exported in Ukraine, it's transported down to Black Sea ports, which are completely disrupted at the moment. Uh, and so all that processing takes place at the ports. Huge impact. Um, I understand the Netherlands and Germany are, are huge export destinations for Russia. Do you, do you think Putin anticipated um, our, our European allies to, you know, join sanctions so quickly? And, and you know, will, will that get his attention? Yeah, I, I don't know whether he, he anticipated it or not, but I think one thing I, I think it kind of plays into his hand a little bit uh, that there's this united reaction um, across Europe in that, uh, you know, the only explanation, the, the explanation that Putin will put forward is that, look, see, the only reason people are helping Ukraine is because they hate Russia and they hate it so much that they're willing to sacrifice these uh, you know, they're hugely dependent on us right. and they're still willing to do it. If they only do it because, you you know, Ukraine's unimportant. They just do it because they don't like Russia. And so this this kind of reinforces his whole narrative, uh, which uh, maybe he anticipated, maybe he didn't. But it certainly works in his favor in some ways. Valuable insight. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Paul, you uh, you lived and worked in uh, in Moscow for seven years. 
So uh, it may be that uh, you can, uh, if in a sense, uh, read the Russian mood a little differently to the way it's being presented in the media uh, here. So how do you see uh, US media coverage of the invasion? In your view, is it accurate? Is it complete? Well, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, in time of war, it's really hard to say whether, you know, information is accurate or not. But I think the, pre the press coverage is typically, you know, you know, it tends to be very one-sided when it comes to Russia. Uh, and of course, Russia, <laughs> the media is also one-sided. But I think kind of a key aspect of, of uh, the U.S. press coverage, that you know, it tends to be dismissive of these of things that are very important to Russians, you know, the role of history, the importance of culture and language. And uh, it doesn't really, really give due attention to that, at least in terms of how Russians are thinking about the, the, the conflict. Um, you know, if we think about, you know, even if we just go back to the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, the Donbass region, um, you know, wanted more autonomy from Ukraine. They, under the, under the Soviet Union, you know, they, this was a, they were given the opportunity to learn in their mother tongue. Uh, you know, each person could be educated in their own mother tongue. Then there were a lot of Russians in the Donbass region. And when Ukraine be, became uh, independent, you know, the, they petitioned for Russian to become an official language already in, you know, the 90s. Yeah. And, and that didn't happen. Um, and so they, they, they suffered for that. Then recently, Russia, you know, Russia became um, an official language when uh, you had uh, one of Putin's people in power. And, but then that law was only recently ruled unconstitutional. Uh, so now Russian can no longer be, uh, you know, is no longer uh, in use. So, uh, so there's this, you know, these nuances here that that really matter for for yeah. uh, Russians. Uh, yeah. I see. So, so, so in Russia, these these kinds of actions may be seen as slights that go beyond security concerns to deeper cultural, uh, social kind of phenomena. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. That's an interesting insight. Well, no, just so, so interesting and obviously very timely. Um, so I, perhaps we can invite you back, though. I, I hope this is not a long, drawn-out affair um, for, for everyone's sake. But thank you for joining us today. Um, really nice to have you as a guest on Talking Trade. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Yeah, Paul Castaneda-Dower, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see you all on the next episode of uh, Talking Trade. Till then.